0: Welcome to our eschatology series. If you've been following us, you know that we're working to unfold the power of ancient prophecies. We're on number 56 in our eschatology series. The title is called The Seven Plagues. Our passage today is Revelation chapter 15, 1 through 8. We will detail the seven plagues that is spoken of in this particular passage, also the consummation of the Bride of Christ, while we unfold exactly how the husband of the Bride of Christ shows a significant amount of violence in the end times. We will detail the Sea of Glass, attempting to extract the truth out of what is unfolded and spoken of in this passage and the purpose of the Sea of Glass. God is and has always been about finishing the work that he started. We're seeing the finishing work of God through the pouring out of these vials, which many people call the bowls of wrath. We will spend significant amount of time talking about judgment for all. Contrary to popular opinion, we will need to see that God is a righteous judge. Most emergent believers of our day only preach on the love of God and not on his judgments. This is a shame, though. It's a significant part of the book of Revelation. In conclusion of our message today, we have to look at the only thing that saves us from the great bloodbath of the seven vials, and that is to be covered with the blood of Jesus. God's primary tools of redemption are water, blood, and fire. If you're not covered with the blood of Christ, you too will be engulfed in the bloodbath and certainly by the all-consuming fire of hell. This is an important lesson for us to review. It not only helps us understand the bottom line message that is in the book of Revelation, But it answers the prayers of the suffering saints by way of God, bringing vengeance upon all those who insulted the Bride of Christ. Thank you for joining us today, and let's get started.
1: with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus' and obey Then in fellowship sweet we will sit at His feet or we'll walk by His side in the way What He said in. and obey And tis so sweet to trust in Jesus Just to take him at his word Just to rest upon his promise Just to See
0: Number 56, The Seven Plagues This is not a pleasant topic to discuss due to the fear that authentic Christians and even marginal Christians have in regard to God's judgment. Let's take a look at our passage for today out of Revelation 15, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous 7 angels who had 7 plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. Then I saw something like a sea of glass, mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast, and his image, and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the Lamb, saying this, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways. King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed. After these things I looked, and the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened, and the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple, clothed in linen, clean and bright, and girded around their chest with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures gave to The seven angels, seven bowls, full of wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. Let's review the seven plagues, or seven bowls of wrath. This chapter is rather short, but long in importance. Within this little chapter, but mighty reveal, we find seven angels who have the seven last plagues. John observes each of these angels holding bowls of wrath. These actions of God are the last and final consequences delivered to man. The remainder of consequences we see in Revelation's book are either directed directly at Satan and his spirit beings, or ramifications that man brings upon himself, resulting in their own acts of rebellion from the seven bowls. The question is begging to be asked, What makes this sign so great and marvelous? The answer to this question is found in our passage, that the full wrath of God is about to be poured out upon the prosecutors of the woman Israel. All of us have read stories about God's wrath being poured out from the book of Genesis to the New Testament's closure, but this pouring out is God's full-on anger toward those who have insulted, persecuted, or killed the human bodies of the bride of his son. The other significant factor here is telling John that in them the wrath of God is finished. The actual and more accurate word to use here is consummated, not finished. Don't get me wrong, consummation does finish the completion process of marriage, but there's a greater meaning being spoken here. These acts of wrath are what consummates the bride of Christ to Christ. In Hebrew marriages, a man cannot marry until the bride's debts are completely paid in full. Another responsibility the groom has is to eliminate any enemies she might have. In this truth, we find the rhyme and reason of what is about to take place in this passage. So let's review consummation. Consummation, for those who are new to the principle is the act of a groom penetrating the woman through sexual relations, dispelling his seed and proving that she indeed is a virgin by coming forth from the room revealing her blood on the sheet of the marriage bed. It is these acts that reveal there is nothing between him and his bride. Both are free from all worries, doubts, and fears before penetration which can only happen when his wrath is completed or finished. It is the male's responsibility to ensure that the woman is not distracted from serving him. It also reveals to the father of the bride that this man can care for her as a priest, spiritual leader, king, leadership, and warrior, protector, and that in no way will he keep her from him. One of the husband's main responsibilities is to keep his woman at peace with her father and draw her closer to himself throughout their married days. In an earthly sense, it was to ensure that if he, the husband, died, she would have a healthy passage back to her father's authority. So it is to be with the bride of Christ, Jesus, and the Father. In our Christian reality, the woman's father is God the Father. As a groom, Christ did not come to separate her from God the Father, to claim her as his own, but to be a mediator between the two. This is why I find most Christians calling on the name of the Father at the beginning of their prayers. It is not a bad thing, but a healthy expression and needed dynamic in our relationship with Christ. He, Jesus, did not come to separate his bride from the Father, but instead came to restore the children of God, the bride, back to the Father. This was accomplished through our marital relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, this places a completely different meaning on the word finished. The Greek translation of the word is consummate, which is far more accurate and significant. The bowls of wrath, all seven of them, is Christ coming to start the consummation process of the bride by confronting, delivering the blow, and removing the oppressors of his bride. His orders are to present his woman to his father, free from all debt, of course that happened through the cross, free from the oppressors, and that's going to happen through these bowls of wrath. So many put the finished work of the cross as his final work. But his willingness to embrace the cross was specifically for her debt to be paid. The word used for finished work about the cross is not that of consummation, but rather payment. The actions we see in chapter 15 are clearly revealing her unfinished business. In this case, punishing and removing her enemies. Let's take a look at our husband show's violence. You might be one of those Christians who find it difficult to embrace our husband, Jesus, showing such acts of violence through the fullness of his character. If you are one of those who find it rather difficult to believe, you might want to study the word a bit closer. If you are only reading the words of comfort or the words comfort passages— because of your fear of God's wrath, that means Jesus, too, implores you to study 1 John. Fact. Fear involves punishment, according to 1 John 4:18, And punishment is bathed in unbelief. It is estimated that only 12% of the body of Christ have studied the book of Revelation. These believers tell me that it is too difficult to understand that it is filled with God's harshness. I say to that, of course it is. First of all, you really cannot understand all the jargon in the book unless you understand the Hebrew culture's basics. Secondly, and most importantly, a reader cannot understand this book unless the Holy Spirit reveals the truth to them. Since most people who say they are Christians aren't, that creates a significant problem. That is why Satan doesn't understand the book He has no Holy Spirit to understand what is being written, let alone being spoken to the spirit of man within man. The vials held by these seven angels are filled to the brim with full-on fury of God the Father, and at this point in God's timeline, ready to be poured out upon the earth. The literal pouring does not occur until chapter 16. But in this passage, in keeping with God's graciousness, warns and makes an announcement. To look ahead a bit after these vials of fury are all poured out, our husband comes in as flaming fire, taking advantage of full payback on all those who insulted his bride and his father. This is a time when all will see him collectively. Now let's take a look at the sea of glass. In our passage it says, And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God. Speaking from the Hebrew customs, the sea of glass is typically believed to be the molten sea or great brazen laver before the mercy seat of the earthly temple for the priest's purification, typically the baptism of water and the spirit who commissioned kings and priests unto God. We see this in heaven, not a replica version, but the eternal view of the model God instructed Moses to demonstrate via the Red Sea, which is symbolic for fire, the term mixed with fire, answering to the baptism of fire, this time for the earth. Please note that this is not the same baptism of fire Christians were or are required to go through, that of the fiery trials to purify them. This is the final test of the saints that endure to the end, the final test of those who have readied themselves for the groom. This baptism is for the earth-dwellers alone. All of creation has to go through the three baptisms, water, spirit, and fire, even the earth. Critical note here is that at this particular point in our study, the earth has gone through two of the baptisms. Water, which was the great flood. Spirit, which was Jesus Christ and him dying on the cross. And now the earth must go through the third baptism, fire. The entire earth will not only be consumed by fire, But it will also become an everlasting furnace for all of eternity for Satan and his triune and all those who decided to follow him. The endearing term, those who had victory over the beast, is a statement of the more than conquerors the scripture often speaks of. The proof of this is found in these believers refusing the mark of the beast. Not one of us can imagine the pressure these believers will be under when forced to take the mark. Nobody knows the pain and anguish, but we can see from our studies that God gives them special attention. This is the group standing on the sea of glass as none other than those who survived the seven-year tribulation of the Antichrist. There is a comparative here. The Hebrews standing on the edge of the Red Sea were not to touch the sea. They would die if they did. This was because of their defiled ways in having embraced the habits of the Egyptians. Crossing the river, Jordan was a bit different. Once God was finished with his wrath toward the rebellious parents, The next generation was then required to put their feet in the water for God to move. In our passage, the Hebrew 144,000 pure bloodline Jews are standing on the sea. This indicates their complete victory of the fullness of God, as well as their coexistence with Christ. They are standing there with Jesus Christ himself. Let's take a look at the seven last plagues. God is and has always been about finishing the work that he started. We are seeing the finished work of God through the pouring out of these vials. Verse 3 reveals the song the 144,000 are about to play and sing. Reviewing our passage, it says, And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord. The Almighty, righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Moses' song customarily celebrates God's mighty hand of the deliverance of his people Israel that God elected. The Lamb's song celebrates the great redemption he purchased by the blood he shed on the cross. If he had not laid his life down and poured out his blood, the priest's blood sacrificed in the Old Testament would have been fruitless. As most believers know, all the bloodshed of man and beast was to point to the song of the Lamb. The Hebrews of old look forward to the shedding of blood to find forgiveness, peace, and mental relief. As true indwelt Christians, we look back on a finished work of the shedding of innocent blood. And, of course, that is the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. Without blood there is no salvation and certainly no purification. The earth must first be stained with blood before he allowed the Father to baptize it with the final baptism of fire. It is truly a great and marvelous work we are witnessing here. Our Almighty God, the self-existent Creator of all, is doing something horrid and terrible, at least from the perspective of humans, but for Him it is an act of love for His people. You and I might not understand this, but we will when we come face to face with our Savior and Lord. Human words cannot describe the level of pain, heartache, anguish, or misery these unbelievers must suffer. But it is righteously necessary. Looking at the King of Kings, before Jesus can take the position of King of Kings, he first must abolish the nations. It will take place through this final fury. Then, and only then, will Christ's position himself, and declare himself as King of kings, King of all nations. Revelation 15-4 tells us that, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. We learn from this verse that there are three primary reasons why all should fear God and glorify Him in Him alone. Number one, He is holy. The Hebrew word here reveals to us that God alone is worthy of worship. The nations being addressed are worshiping Satan, and that is a great insult to the Lord. Number two, all nations are required to worship Him. There has never Been a time on the face of the earth that all nations have worshipped God the Father. On this day it will be required. However, the price this time will be the blood of men. The prophecies have warned us that this day was to come. Read more about that in Zechariah 14 verses 16 through 17. Isaiah 2 verses 2 through 4. Then again in chapter 56, verses 6 through 7. Number three, God must fulfill his mandates, his judgments, plural, signify God's righteous acts in these terrible, horrible judgments contained in the vials in our passage, which are the outpouring of God's wrath. Our Father is declaring himself to be righteous, Rightly so, in his wrath and judgments. Just as a reminder, there's not one word that proceeds out of the mouth of man that was not recorded in the book of life. God wasn't jesting when he said this. Instead of looking at God's acts as being mean, harsh, or punitive, look at them as good, kind, and committed to fulfilling his promise of answering the prayers of the saints. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 11, verse 22, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. Now looking at God is a righteous judge, Psalm 7, verse 11, tells us this, God is a righteous judge and a God who has indignation every day. This indignation is not directed toward the children of God, only the wicked. Most emergent believers of our day only preach on the love of God, and not on his judgments. The judgments being poured forth from these vials are his ultimate act of love, not toward the evildoers, but in response to answering the call of his children. I certainly understand why the postmodern church turned emergent or lukewarm. Nonetheless, it is only half of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most churches base their view of Christ on the days that he walked the earth. His first coming indeed was, for the sole purpose, of bringing peace to all men and opening the door for his engagement to his bride to avoid his everlasting judgment. His second coming is a bit different. It is not to bring peace to the earth dwellers, but to bring a sword. For true Christians to embrace the fullness of Christ, they must embrace the full reasons of his first and second coming. This was the deception the enemy used to form the emergent church. The result being the church has made Jesus into a placid pacifist. By using this half-truth, he, Satan, was able to turn the church into a glorified love den, resulting in becoming a lukewarm church, which is, of course, the church of Laodicea. So today we have few churches preaching the fullness of the character of Jesus, proclaiming the reasons for his first coming and certainly having a supernatural understanding of his second coming. This I can assure you, I won't be a part of such a system of worship. It emasculates Jesus Christ and his full calling. In conclusion... The only thing that saves us from the great bloodbath of the seven vials is to be covered with the blood of Jesus. God's primary tools of redemption are water, blood, and fire. If you're not covered with the blood of Christ, you, too, will be engulfed in this bloodbath and certainly by the all-consuming fire of hell that is nipping at our feet will then suffer his wrath of judgment performed in his, what Isaiah calls, strange work. It doesn't matter what you have read, what your preachers have taught, nor what you have learned in the local Bible college. The Bible is the word of God. The word is forever settled in heaven. The everlasting word will be fulfilled exactly like it reads. Satan has worked for thousands of years to change it, and we know what is coming for him. Do you think the modernism of men moves God? No. It is the modernism of men that provokes God to reveal himself in this manner. If you're one that is caught up in the emergent lukewarm beliefs of a social gospel, get out now. Find a solid Bible-teaching church that is not afraid to speak of the fullness of the character of Jesus Christ, one that believes in the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help you, God. Time is wasting, and things are about to heat up. Coming up next in our series... We'll be continuing on with the seven plagues, but specifically addressing the seven bowls of wrath. In Revelation 16, when it says, And I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. Well, there's a lot packed into that little verse, and we certainly have to agree that things are heating up In chapter 16, it simply opens the day that all of mankind has feared since the Garden of Eden, and that is the pouring out of the seven vials of wrath. We hope that you continue to join us as we unfold the ancient prophecies, not only in the book of Revelation, but in the entire book of the Bible. Thank you for joining us today. It's been a pleasure having you be a part of our series as we unfold the eschatological details that God has given us in his holy word. Until next time.